Wow, what a great group. Eleven baptisms, that's what I'm talking about. Let me pray for us and we'll open God's word. Lord, uh, we do celebrate. I, I just out loud want to agree uh, with what Derek just said and, and have you hear it in front, of, uh, in, in front of a bunch of friends and family here. We, uh, you've been good to us. You have uh, blessed our church. Um, Lord, you know we're so flawed, and yet through the flaws, you've created some health. Lord, there's constant stories of folks changing. There's constant stories of folks loving each other and caring for each other. A bunch of us realize that doesn't happen everywhere, so we're thankful to be a part of that. Today, Lord, we celebrate. We celebrate folks that are willing to, in front of their friends and and even in front of strangers, to uh, associate their life with you, Jesus, and actually claim that uh, you've transformed them. So... uh, be here today. We, we want to celebrate well. We want you to get glory. We want uh, our body to be encouraged. So be here. Amen. Teach now out of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we spent uh, three weeks in the book of Jonah, and we studied a knucklehead dude, right? I mean, if you, you, you don't have to read Jonah long, you will see, uh, you'll see a knucklehead. And yet the Lord used him, and he uh, actually put himself out there and and God used him nonetheless. And, and so we decided to do another series. And this time we would do it on a uh, just solid young lady. So ladies, it, it, this is a good combination for you. Knucklehead dude and, and like this just solid, solid. You know, that's wrong. I don't know why we don't, but that's what we're doing. It's uh, three chapters in Jonah. And, I mean, four chapters in Jonah. And there's four chapters in this little book called Ruth. It's two books in the Bible named after a lady. One of them is Ruth. The other one, Bible trivia time. Esther, thank you so much. So let me do this. I do this all the time. Uh, if you've been here many times before, you've heard me do it, so it might bore you a bit, but I'm okay with that because repetition sometimes helps. This book starts with a, another book. It's got 66 books in it. We got the Old Testament and the New Testament. Some folks would say the less Old Testament because it's old too, right? But, but the Old Testament starts with a book called Genesis and the whole story of the Bible. For those of us that know Jesus and believe in this book, we actually believe that God created the universe. I know that's a shocker, but for, for us, we believe that God created the universe. And, and it starts right there in Genesis. And, and by the end of creation, he's, he's created the trees that are out in the yard right now, the grass that needs rain, get a little rain today. He created the raccoon that was in your garbage last night. That's what he started all that. It's his fault, right? Anyway, uh, and at the end of creation, by day six, he creates a man named Adam. And eventually he creates a young lady named uh, 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 Eve. And, and the two of them have a family. And they start with some kids. And eventually there's a son named Seth. And you can read Genesis. And there's all of a sudden, it goes from Adam to Seth. And he has a son. And, he has, and, and this, this lineage from Adam gets passed on. That's kind of how Genesis works. If you know how Genesis works, there's this big story about Noah and a flood. It's, it's, it's this crazy story. And after Noah, there, things are divided up. God actually splits up into languages. Long story, but it's discipline and, and, and uh, English and Spanish. I know y'all think English was the original language, but just, just in case it wasn't, right? Maybe Hebrew was. But there's this variety of languages. Evidently, there's a hundred core languages in the world even today. Perhaps that happened at this place called Tower of Babel. That's in Genesis. And then comes on to seeing this guy named Abraham. Now, for those of you that don't know your Bible very well, everybody agrees that Abraham existed. 
So just so if this thing feels a little bit like a, 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 a story that's not true, Abraham, everybody agrees, many nations track their, their ancestry all the way back to this guy named Abraham. Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob gets his name changed to Israel. And Israel drives like a 15-passenger van, right? Because Israel's got 12 sons and some daughters. So they might not have fit. I mean, probably no seatbelt laws back in the day. But anyway, you, you get a bunch. He had 12 sons and, and some daughters. And, and that is where we get the 12 tribes of Israel. They started with a guy named Reuben. That's the oldest son. And the baby boy is named Benjamin. There's 12 of them. And if you're Jewish in the room, you could probably track your heritage back to one of those sons of this man named Israel. And, and now we're kind of rolling to the end of Genesis and rolling into Exodus. First five books of the, of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The uh, people of Israel, the family of Israel, right? They got the 15 passenger van. Well, guess what happens if you have 12 sons? They got a bunch of kids. And the next thing, this thing gets exponential and you got kids running everywhere and they're all related to the old man Israel. The famine comes into the land and the Israelites, all the kids of Jacob, move to this land called Egypt. And uh, everything's good because one of Israel's sons, Joseph, is one of the leaders there. I skipped like, you know, like story after story after story. He's one of the leaders there and, and everything's good and you move there and you eat. And this, this one son takes care of you because he's like the vice president. He takes care of you and then, then he dies and, and racism begins to brew in Egypt. And the Egyptians start looking down on the Israelites partially because the Israelites were having so much success. And, and eventually they flipped the script on them and they made the Israelites slaves. And if you, if you think life's easy and that God is always just making life easy for his people, they were slaves for 400 years. Okay? So we've had horrendous things happen in this country with slavery. We're talking about 400 years of slavery. And at the, end of the, at the end of the time of slavery, God sent them a, a savior in essence. He sent a guy named Moses. You remember Moses? You've probably seen the movie. Charlton Heston's in it. He big old big. I mean, you got to see the old one. Don't see nothing new. It's all, anyway, Charlton Heston comes on the scene, and he sets his people free. There's this big conversation. I can't get into it, but he leads his people out of Egypt. He leads them through the Red Sea, and, and they go out into the wilderness and start acting like knuckleheads again, right? So you got the Israelites, the family of Israel, they're wandering in the desert. God gives them the Ten Commandments. All kinds of good stuff comes down through there so we, we flow all the way up to the book of joshua sixth book of the old testament joshua leads the people well he actually leads them into a place we call the promised land also known as canaan the people go in and they take over you want to see some good fights read joshua right so fellas in the room here's how it goes you read joshua and, and it's like uh it's like a pg-13 nationalistic go usa movie except it's about israel and they go in and take names boy it's sweet they screw up a little bit but they're tracking because of good leadership and then you come to the seventh book of the old testament it's called judges and the people tank the people start getting full of themselves. The scripture actually says that they did what was right in their own eyes, right? When Joshua was leading, they were trying to follow the God of Israel, the God of Abraham. They're trying to find, and they, and they, they did well. And it's, it's this beautiful book. When you get to Judges, it's no longer PG-13. It's rated R. There's all kinds of immorality, lots of killing. It's just off the chain. It's a pretty good read. Honestly, I mean, but it's, it's just like this, uh, this chaos that ensues when people are full of it. 
So God would send them a redeemer, and they rotate this variety of names. My favorite is Ehud. He's left-handed. He stabs the with left hand. Anyway, it's just this, this cool thing. But there's this one judge. His name is Gideon, and he's a good leader of his people. He does some dramatic stuff, uh, and he does some, some dumb stuff. But Judges captures his life, and the assumption is uh, by the historians that this little tiny book, the eighth book of the Old Testament, Ruth, is tucked into Judges right about the point of Gideon. And so you got, it's, the land is in a lot of unrest. Gideon's in leadership, so it's, it's, it's better than usual. And in the midst of all the chaos and violence and immorality, this young lady comes on the scene. If you're a lady and you have not read Ruth, you ought to just read it four or five times this week. It is probably, for most of y'all, take you 10 minutes, Right? If you have similar education to me, it might take like 17, all right? But it, it, it's only four chapters. It's not, it's not many. I've read it a couple times this week again, and, and the beauty of this story is, uh, is great. I think for everybody in the room, male and female, uh, we, we sometimes, guys, get so addicted to Braveheart and all the action that we cannot enjoy an old classic, romance. This got a little romance in it, and, and there's something about that that is good for the soul um, because everything's not made right in two seconds. It takes time. And so I, I want to tell you the story based on what the Bible says, and I want you to allow it to work on you, the story of, of Ruth. Here we go. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled Israel, remember what we just talked about? In the days when the judges ruled Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. Probably a regional famine, not like a worldwide famine, but a regional famine. If you don't know what a famine is, that means the food's not growing and people are not eating. They're, they're struggling to eat. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah left his home and he went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons from there from, with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi, and their two sons were Malhan and Kilion, and they were Epaphrodites uh, from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Little tease alert, okay? Little tease, because this story, the best romances, the best classics, they tease you the whole way. Sometimes they do like this false tease, and you're like, uh, is that, is that the guy? Like, is he going to be, the, and he ain't the guy, right? But, and sometimes the, this, in this particular story, the writer continuously teases you about what's happening. Did you catch that? Where, where were they from? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. They're from Bethlehem. So in about 20-something days, there's this holiday that we celebrate, and, and there was this guy. And he was born in Bethlehem. Like, so it's a little tease alert as we go into the story. He, he's born in Bethlehem, and, and so this guy, Limelech, decides to move his family from Bethlehem, I mean, from Bethlehem. So if Lexington was Jerusalem, which was like the big city of the time, Red Bank would be Bethlehem. We knew that King David would have come from Red Bank, right? Anyway, just five miles. It's about five miles down the road. It's not really a suburb, but a little town just five miles down the road. And then Moab would be, and we're going to go the opposite direction. It was actually east, but let's go to Augusta because it's about 50 miles. It's over the Georgia border. That's another country, right? They got a different health care. Like, and when things are going bad here, you just move to Georgia and get better health care, right? And there might be a better job in Augusta because they're connected to Atlanta. Somebody's going to take care of me, and that's exactly what Elimelech did. He packed up his family. I, I imagine them being middle class. So he probably rented a Penske truck, right? Penske truck's middle class. Just so you know, middle class. And 
And if you're middle class, you get all your friends come to your house and move your stuff, right? In my case, I try not to cuss the whole time because I don't like my stuff. But all the five boys, I don't cuss, baby, I'm sorry. I don't cuss the whole time. <laughs> Never say a word. I get all my boys that are trained in moving stuff and we move because that's how we do it. Some of y'all that are upper class, I know what y'all do. I just can't. Like, them big trucks come in and big dudes get off of them. They load it all up and they go somewhere. And some of y'all, you're like, Penske truck, boy, we put it in the trailer. What you talking about? <laughs> They load up the Penske truck and they go to Moab and uh, go where the grass is greener. Let me just say this as one who has one particular move in my lifetime feel like was about the grass being greener. The grass greener is not always better for your family. Okay? So making more money, having a better job, uh, the pursuit of happiness. Seems like our nation was found on it. It's not always what God wants for you. Some folks would say that. God wants you to be happy. I don't know how you read this book and believe that. Right? Now, he provides a joy that is deep and rich, and it comes from the Savior Jesus. We'll never argue with that. But life is not always easy, and we're about to read the story of it not being easy because somebody made a bad decision. Oftentimes, we want to point the finger at somebody else. Most of the scholars and certainly the Jews, when they read the story of Ruth and they remember this guy named Elimelech, they think that he led his family poorly. He took, him, took his family out of the promised land and took him to another land where the Moabites live. And that, that term's going to come up over and over. And he established them there. And they struggled. So two little boys, they moved to town. They go to Moab High School. Sign up, right? Go to high school. They meet two little Moabite girls. Back in the day, got married in high school. Some of y'all know about that. Got married in high school, and, and they connect. But, but, verse, but verse 3 captures, we we're going to start a movie with the book of Ruth, and we we're going to try to build us a classic. We probably started in verse 3, and Elimelech died. It probably started at a funeral. Naomi, the mama, her husband died. What's the worst funeral you've ever been to? Been to some bad ones? There's some that just aren't that bad. They're actually celebrations of life, live well. And I went to my friend James Frazee's funeral. He was 33. And uh, it was like, as far as funerals go, probably number one all time and number last all time for me. Because uh, the story of this young man was dramatic and how he loved God. And seeing his wife, Rachel, up on the front, just the, the sheer memory of her beauty, like this strength and beauty and godliness in this horrible time was, was amazing. To shake her hand and almost as if you were meeting Jesus in that moment. It was as if the Holy Spirit gave her a strength that was un, unbridled for a moment. It just it blessed all of us. Everybody was talking about it. But guess what happened to Rachel? We all left. I drove back to my house. I went back to my job. And all those other people left. And here was Rachel Frazee left with three little girls. Left to grieve. Sometimes we read the scripture and it says, And Elimelech died and we just roll. And we don't actually feel it. I want you to feel Naomi's in a foreign land. She's, she's with the man that she loves. She followed him there. And then he dies and she suffers and grieves and hurts. 
This book is not full of just happy-go-lucky folks where everything works out. It's, it's full of real people, Naomi's real people. Her husband's died, and she was left with her two sons. And they married Moabite women. One married a, a woman named Orpah, and the other married a, a one named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Malon and Kilion died. And this left Naomi alone without her two sons or husband. So if we're starting a movie, it started horrendous. Probably got some violins working. And the first funeral comes and they're suffering. And then there's probably some hope when Ruth and Orpah come into the family and her boys are happy. I don't know about you, but I, when I was, I was reading, I was, I was trying to come up, which actress would I pick to be Naomi? Right? And, I, and I scrolled through, I had Cheryl look with me, and, and I, I came up with, and you won't know who she is, which is perfect for, for Naomi. Her name's Alfre uh, Woodward. I, I never heard her name before, but she's in every movie. When you see her, if you saw her picture, you'd be like, yeah, she's in like tons of movies, and she's in tons of TV shows. African-American woman, maybe, maybe late 50s and 60, and she has this great ability to look really sad and still be strong. She got this really unique way of acting. And, and so here's Naomi. And she's just suffering. Her husband dies. And you can imagine how the movie makers would make it. And then her first boy dies. And then her second boy dies. And it's on. Just so you understand how society worked back then. Uh, man, if you lost your man, there was no government subsidy. There was no life insurance. Just in the moment you start grieving the emotional loss of a husband, you were hit with putting all your stuff on Craigslist just to be able to eat. And you, you went from uh, middle class to poor, I mean, virtually overnight. And you find these three ladies, very odd for the scriptures, but these three ladies, especially for any ancient writing to write about women as the stars of the story, you got Naomi circling up with her two daughters-in-law. And what are they going to do? The next verses are uh, despairing. I want you to feel them. Sometimes you go to church, it's really nice to feel good when you leave. Sometimes you just get kind of get it handed to you and you leave church like, uh, like wow, that hurt. He, he, he told me the truth. Um, in this case... The narrative of the scripture sometimes is not really all about you. He wants you to feel it so that he can deliver good news later. Sometimes in our culture, I think we skip the bad news. We try to hide it. We live in this optimistic kind of thing where we, we, we uh, hide from any bad news. And that might hurt us a little bit. Let me read to you a little bit. Here's Naomi. And Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord was, had blessed the people in Judah by giving good crops again. You, you got to imagine this stings a little bit. She and her husband went to uh, Moab to have a better life. And now her husband's gone and both of her sons are gone. And uh, now things are going good back where she left. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. And the two daughters-in-law, she said, out from that place, they loaded up their 97 Honda, right? Like there ain't no Penske truck anymore. 97 Honda, everything they own, and they're, they're going to head back uh, where they had been living. And they took the road that would lead back to Judah. But on the, way, on the way, Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands, my sons, and to me. May the Lord bless you with security and another marriage. And then she kissed them goodbye and they all broke down and wept. 
Ladies, we're watching a classic, right? And you're sitting together on the couch when you get to this point, and Orpah and Ruth and Naomi, they're weeping. What you going to There's tears flowing, right? Cheryl, Cheryl's got the tears. See, when I cry, I don't like letting anybody see, but Cheryl's just like, let's it go. And like, that's part of the joy of the movie. And the writer wants you to catch that. There's, there's pain for these ladies. And they're weeping as Naomi's telling them, go home. Go back to your people and be secure. And because of their love for one, it's deep. It, it speaks to Naomi's quality. I can imagine this, this Alfre Woodward actress just capturing that. There's a quality about her despite her suffering. I couldn't figure out who Orpah would be. Anyway, she's going to be out of the scene in a minute, so it don't really matter. You know, the actress, you know, she's going to be gone in a minute anyway, so we don't really care. I don't know about Ruth. Cheryl said it had to be, well, I wrote it down because I don't know any actresses' names. Was that, uh, she said it had to be Jennifer Garner. I think because she's in all the Christian movies. Is that why? I don't know. She, I'm like, I'm going with the, I wrote that down too. Amy Adams. How about the redheaded Amy Adams? Let's go with her for being Ruth, right? Because she got to what? Oh, okay, my bad. Anyway, all right. So whoever she is, I want you to catch it because the story, they want you to catch it. And before there was all this entertainment stuff, when folks read, they were entertained and they were captured by the story. So Naomi tries to send them on, and these two young ladies are special. They say, no, we want to go with you, and we want to be with your people. And Naomi gives this little speech, and I think some of you are going to feel it. Why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up and be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' home, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, uh, then what? What y'all going to do? We going to wait for my little boys to grow up and y'all get married? Right. And if you understood the culture of the day, there's actually this rule called the Leverett Rule. And, and we'll talk about it more in, in, in the future Sundays. But there's this Leverett Rule, and, and, and she's actually teasing. The, the writer is teasing forward this idea that there could be a redeemer in the family. But she says, could I, could I have sons? Would, would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry somebody else? What happens when the good-looking dude from, you know, Moab University comes by? You going to wait for my little boy that ain't even born yet? Like, she's just trying to get him to go, no, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than they are for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. Mm, I hear you. Anybody feel that? You ever had a time in life where you just felt like everything and everybody was against you? It just started stacking. It started with one thing and you rose up for the one thing. Her husband passes. But when her son passed and another son passes, now she's lost everything. She's got to go back. She's just like, everything's against me. Even, not, not just everything, but even God is against me. Anybody? This is the Bible. happen to many of us sometimes right our mess is our own i made the mess feels like everybody's against me but it kind of makes sense because of some of the decisions i made and sometimes they just they just come on us sometimes they're like the first world problems and they start spiraling right and we really aren't having it that rough but because because our mind gets going and we get caught up in it there's all these studies i watched one this week that a friend sent me uh, trying to warn us about technology and how, how we ought to protect our kids from it because one of one of the things that happens is that that the more you see the more you take in the the more you compare your life to other people's lives as opposed to just living yours 
And so the next thing you know, you're addicted, literally. This isn't a Christian writing this. This is a psychologist writing this. You're addicted to information about other people. And every time you look at a text or, or a Facebook post, it, it, create, it creates this, this move of dopamine in you, which I, I don't really know, but the beginning of that is dope. So I'm pretty sure I know what that does. It's like this addiction. It's like a drug. And, and so the fear is for some of us grown people that do this. I'm thinking about going to flip phone myself right, right here this next week. I'm seriously thinking about going to flip phone. But, but, uh, but think about our 13-year-olds. And they're developing as adolescents, and and all of a sudden, they're having to deal with all of this stuff, and they watch other people's life and their faux lives, and now we're faux depressed. We don't even know what we're depressed about, but everybody else seems to be doing good, and my life seems to stink. If I'm 14, I need to say suck and, and, and put those two things together. I keep looking at their lives, which are great, but they're not really their faux great, and, and your life seems to faux suck. Can we print that, baby? Those, those two words don't go. They, it, it, like, it doesn't really stink, but because you keep comparing it to this other thing, you think that it stinks. And all of a sudden, depression happens. As a matter of fact, the studies that are being done about Facebook are uh, all lead to depression. Not, not, not that everything on the... But don't, so let me exaggerate, but like they're showing that it is far more likely that you're depressed if you participate. Then if you don't, and uh, we're just not getting it. So in, in the first world, we actually start getting stressed maybe, and our st- life starts spiraling even when it's not spiraling. But this, that's not what's happening. This lady has lost her husband. Some of y'all have lost yours, and I'm sorry. There's no way to, uh, no way to reach in and understand that. Some of you lost a wife. Some of you lost children. Some of you have been divorced. And the pain of that continues to ride you. Maybe your parents were. And that rides you. That's not faux. That's real. Right? That's real. That, that's true here. And that's true in the poorest parts of the world. That's not first world problems. That's problems. And we suffer. And there's depression and we fight it. Some of y'all in 2007, man, when everything went south, your business went south and you lost everything and you've never really been the same again. Sometimes our marriages, even the healthy ones, certainly happens in my house. Sometimes we just lose peace and we get on one another and we get on one another for a season and, and we both go down emotionally as we steal from one another. And it's, it's ugly and it's on us, right? Because, because uh, it's really not that bad, but nonetheless, you just, it's kind of this downward slide. And it's hard to get out of the slide. That's why Radius is here. It's a place for you, a place to belong. Can you imagine life going this poorly and being alone? Having nobody to go to. Your husband, your kids are gone, and there's no community. Let me just say to you, man, you might not be in trouble now. You're going to be in trouble at some point. I sure have been. Somebody's got to know you. Somebody's got to truly know who you are so that when you go in the ditch, they can come get you. That, this church, I tell you, that's what this church is. It's been proven over and over. We got some problems. We can line them up and I can, we can give testimony to our problems, right? But I've watched folks in this church come through for one another over and over, sometimes on trivial stuff, sometimes on major moments. 
It's a thing of beauty. So if you can relate with Naomi, uh, we're here for you. That's what the church is. Verse 14. How about that line? God has raised his fist up against me. Verse 14, and again they wept together. <laughs> Ladies, I don't really get this. Like, you can cry once, but when you cry again, that don't make no sense to me. Like, so you crying again. We're watching the movie. They're crying again. They kissed her mother-in-law, and, and, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. So I need to find me a little actress that is just really sweet and weak, right? <laughs> because, because she's sweet. She hangs around for two times, and then Orpah, like, kisses her mother-in-law. Like, you're right. I need to go home. <laughs> I need to go get fed. Let, let me get on out here. And Orpah rolls, but Ruth, and, and part of it in the story is Orpah actually highlights what Ruth does. Naomi's incredibly low, knows the Lord and is low. Orpah finally, like, recognizes she goes back to the house. But check, it, check out what Naomi says. Look, Naomi's going to tell Ruth again. Naomi looked at Ruth and says, look. Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods, and you should do the same. Look, she just went, get on out of here, girl. Get back to a place of safety. Get back to your family. Do you notice one little weird line in there? Go back to your people and your gods. That's an interesting line to be dropped in the narrative, in the story. Remember, Naomi is a follower of God, of Yahweh. If she was you, she would be a believer. She'd know Jesus. But she's so low. She's so down. She is so full of despair. You ever been that bad? You ever been that bad with God? Like you feel like he's raised his fist to you and he's beat you down and you can't even advise your neighbors to follow him because this is just too hard. Oh, that's real. That's real. And so she says to Ruth, why don't you go back to what you got? At least it's a place you can live on this earth and be safe. Check out our girl Ruth. Ruth, this, this is the most famous part of the whole book. This, this one, couple little lines. And Ruth replied, I can imagine her standing up. You know when you get a little fired up, you walk up towards somebody? It doesn't work good with your wife or husband, all right? So don't try to do your wife or husband. But, you know, like, like when you want to let your coach know you really, no, seriously, coach, I'm ready. Put me back in the game. Now, he said, sit back down, son. You just missed three threes. We ain't putting you back in the game. But, but sometimes you, got, you put yourself forward. You got this moment where Ruth steps up and she says, don't ask me to leave. I'm sick of you telling me to leave me. Leave. I ain't leaving. I said, ain't. I don't know. She was proper. But and she said, I'm not leaving. And she says, and turn back. Uh, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. And then she pulls out the big, big one. Wherever you die, I'll die. Top that. I'm going to live there. And you, I know your old Naomi. When you die, I'm going to live right there in that town. I'm going to come visit your grave. And when I die, they're going to put me a little funeral part, part right beside yours. It's beauty right there. I mean, it's, 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 I hope you catch it. This lady, Naomi, ha has had it horrible, and so has Ruth. We forget in the story, Ruth just lost her husband. She got nowhere to go. And, and her mother-in-law is down. By the way, all, I got five sons. I want a daughter-in-law like this, right? So when I'm old, they're still laughing at my jokes because they're just with me. Mr. Lifer's got that. They're, they're going to laugh at his jokes no matter what because they are what? He's got daughter-in-law that are for him. It's a blessing. I'm jealous. I'm, I'm working on it, Mr. Lifer. I'm working that. 
It's this beautiful story of a, of a daughter-in-law that's, that's with her. And he, she said, he, she closes it out with almost like a vow. Lord, punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. I, I hope, uh, this is a lady, so I, let's just, let me just speak to ladies, but this is true for men and women. The loyalty of this young lady to her mother-in-law is shockingly beautiful, right? She is going to finish. We could use some people in America that finish something. Shockingly beautiful and attractive. But, but let, me, let me say this, because the more I read this, I believe that Ruth is attracted to Naomi's faith. That despite Naomi's Weakness and brokenness, Ruth can see through the brokenness and can see the God that she worships. And she's decided she's going to hitch her wagon to the truth, that she wants the truth. And even though this lady, I mean, some of y'all in this room, you used to seeing Christian people and, and, and they probably annoy you and you call them hypocrites. Right now, Naomi probably looks like a hypocrite, but there's still some light coming out of her. Because the Holy Spirit has transformed her, and Ruth ain't never seen anything like it. And she isn't going to leave it. She's going to follow her back to where she came from because she wants more of that. Let me tell you how intense that is. She left her family. Sometimes following Jesus means you leave your family. That's intense. It don't get any more intense. We don't have anything more loving than that. Sometimes you, you, you know, you, you flee your family because when you're around your family, it's chaos. And you got to get out of there because you can't live like that anymore. Right? Sometimes it's just the way it is. Sometimes you get ejected from the family because they're sick of you being around. If you, you know, for us in America, that seems lightweight. But if you were in another country, they might actually be out to execute you, your family, because you believed in Jesus. Happening today in this world that we live in. Sometimes it's obedience. I still remember telling my mama I was moving to Iowa. And my mama said, who made you do that? I'm like, well, I feel like the Lord let me. And my mama thought we were supposed to live within 10 miles. And, and I was trying to obey Jesus. And, and mama wasn't really sure where we wanted to obey Jesus right now. My mama's for obeying Jesus, but she just loves her some John, right? So, so she, no, she really loves her some John's kids, right? So, so she, she wants me to stay around, which is right for a mother to do. But in obedience, sometimes you push through some of that pain and do the right thing. And, and a mom like mine who loves the Lord gets it eventually. It just hurts. Sometimes you believe and you go the other way from your family. You continue to love them, and then they believe. And a bunch of you line up and get baptized. Sometimes you believe and the family doesn't believe, and it just works. Somehow it works, and some of y'all live within it. Ain't no telling. It could be anywhere in between that. But to follow Jesus truly is to make a decision and to go all in. Everything else becomes secondary to this relationship with God. And Ruth says, Naomi, you know God, I'm with you. I'm, I'm going all the way to the end with you. And it is a thing of beauty. Let me, let me just remind you, there are no prospects here. It's not like she's gold digging and thinking Naomi might have a fortune back in, back in Judah. She's getting in a 97 Honda Accord. Right? For some of y'all, you're like, 97, yeah, dang, straight. That's a good car. I'm, I'm right there with you. But, 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 and, and she's going back to Judah, and they're riding together, and they're together, and they move into an apartment together, probably government sub subsidized, and they're just going to struggle there together, and Ruth's in. Let me finish. 
So two of them continued on their journey, and they came to Bethlehem. Little, little uh, tease alert. The entire town was excited at their arrival. Is that really Naomi? Ladies, what is that? How does that fit? Is that really, is that really Naomi? Is that really, is that really Alfre, my actress? I mean, what they would have done, a makeup artist would have made you look rough, right? Your hair would have been all disheveled and, and the makeup would have been rough and you'd have got out of your Honda. Everybody like, is that Naomi? And, and, and you don't know whether they're excited to see you or they're excited to do what? Talk. It feels like you're coming into Mayberry and everybody's just chattering like, oh, we got a story. And, and Aunt B's going house to house telling everybody. That's what it feels like. And, and, and all of a sudden there's like this, this moment and Naomi embraces it. And I, I, she sets this example out of depth and pain that I, I think is beautiful. She says, don't call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasantness, uh, sweetness. Instead, call me Mara. Mara actually means bitterness. Call me bitterness for the almighty has made my life very bitter for me i went away full but the lord has brought me back home empty two two little words in there i want you to catch he brought me back home empty perhaps home is the place where you get filled back up i don't know maybe but, but he says, she, he brought me back home filled, empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? The beauty of her transparency is, uh, is striking to me. I grew up in the South. I'm Southern trained. We show up to church with no problems. Right, that's the, I don't think mama ever said that, but we just felt like you got to show up looking good, being good. You show up to church with no problems, and you got life together, and we're going to walk out. We can fight on the way home, but you ain't going to fight at church. We're going to have stuff together. If you screwed up at church, well, I can feel my father. He's going to come snatch me up in the... This is back in the old school days, and we're going to go to the parking lot, and there's going to be some activity out there that we can't talk about, but they can hear me inside, right? But anyway, there's this just like we're going to carry ourselves well there. We're going to rise up, and, and some of that's good, right? Like So, so the discipline of holding ourselves together and be but there's also this time to be transparent and somehow the church lost that where where uh it became this performance and we couldn't show anybody our pain and the next thing you know i can't even share with my dearest sister or my dearest brother the pains of my heart and uh i got nobody to be there with me Naomi just comes back. She lay, there ain't no gossip to be had. She says, here I am. And she, she puts it out. She puts herself out there. And, and she's just that low. Says, so Naomi returned to Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They keep on talking about her being Moabite. And they arrived in Bethlehem in late spring, the beginning of the barley harvest. I'll read four verses and we need to quit. Now, there was a wealthy, influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz. Now, we're watching the, the movie, and it's a classic. The dude just rolls up. I'm thinking, I, I, I'm thinking this guy's got to be, I roll, what, what's his name? I know no actors. I need to memorize some actors' names. This guy rolls up. I'm, I'm thinking it's, uh, uh, babe, what was this guy's name? Harrison Ford. Yeah, it's got to be Harrison Ford. <laughs> Harrison Ford rolls up. You know, he's kind of older. He, he, he rose up onto the scene and like, you're like, what, what's Harrison Ford going to do? That dude looks important. You look up the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word actually means when, when you're speaking of Boaz, that he was a man of standing, like he was an important guy in, in the community. 
There's, there's another translation in Hebrew says he was a mighty man of valor, right? We're not talking about Harrison Ford in Star Wars with a little lightsaber swinging around trying to defend himself in a monkey or whatever that thing is with him, right, Chewbacca? I mean, like he's all for himself. That's his whole life. We're talking about Harrison Ford in Air Force One, right? Like, like fighting for his family and taking out. I mean, anyway, anyway, this is a man of valor. He's a man after his family. He's got this, this quality about him that, that the whole community names, uh, knows about. It says, and there was a wealthy, influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, and he was a relative of Naomi's husband. Elimelech. For those of y'all been paying attention, he's a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. If you're in the movie, ooh, that's interesting. Where's that going to go? One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, this girl, she's something else. Let me go out into the harvest fields and pick up the stalks of grain and left behind, left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. And we'll talk about this next week. Naomi says, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And it happened that she found herself working in a field that belonged to Harrison Ford. <laughs> Boaz. The relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. What's going to happen? I feel like I need to put to be continued up on the screen. We're going to have to pick this up next week. I want you to feel the redemption that's in the air. Like chapter 1 really shows you this picture of despair and pain, particularly in the life of Naomi, but also in Ruth's life. And throughout it, it teases some hope that there could be redemption. That's what this is about to be. There's going to, he's going to tease us a little bit. He's going to actually take folks and baptize them in water. And we're going to celebrate because we're going to know that truly their lives have been changed by the Holy Spirit of God Almighty. That they've chosen to do that in front of him. It's a little bit of a tease because when they come up out of the water, what? They're just wet, Right? Like, like we saw this symbol, this symbol of their heart change that they truly believed and they went into water when they come back up. It's this picture of, of Jesus rising from the dead. And we would actually say in Romans that we are, uh, we're co-resurrected with Jesus. So we believe that it's truth, but, but they're wet. Physically, they're just wet. And we're point toward a day when we're with our Savior and there won't be any more suffering. There won't be any more tears. And we'll enjoy the Savior. It's pointing towards. So it's, it's a little bit of a tease, but it's also reality. It's beautiful. Enjoy it. Jesus, thank you so much for what you do at Radius White Knoll. Thank you for what uh, you've done for my family here. Thank you uh, for the stories that you put in your word to encourage our souls. I know I got some folks in here that say, man, I feel how Naomi felt. I'm broken. I don't know if I can get any lower. I pray you give them courage today to move, to move back to the promised land, to uh, move towards somebody that knows you and uh, connect with them and trust them with some truth about their life and be healed over the course of time. We trust you, Jesus. Listen to us as we worship. Amen.